Or you could just go full on Rockstar and just hold it up to your face. <laughs> <laughs> So this is the humble studio. You're already recording. It's just, yeah. (laughs) It's just a room. Um, I got some of this stuff here to put on the walls. Kind of help deflect a little bit. I got some bass traps, but I need more because there's way too much boom in this end. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to the Sean Geek Podcast. Hey, we're in the. uh, We're in the horrible swag that. Faded. Yeah, I think I don't think mine even has any writing left. Any on writing it. left? We went through Zazzle, and uh, they were like forty five dollars a shirt, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and they all faded. Well, mine's still pristine though. I wore mine once, and then I took yeah. it off, and then I put it away. Uh, I ordered twelve more shirts. We'll have them before next Sunday. Okay, and then we'll see what they look like with the Devine Shirt Company. I'm sure you know who they are. Yeah. So anyway, in the studio today, who do we got? Ryan. Uh, Ryan Sorensen from Disraeli Dreamers. So is it still is it still from Disraeli Dreamers? It is still from Disraeli. Uh, is it? We've been pretty uh, quiet for the last little while, but we're um, dipping our toes back into the water. We were working on an album for the longest time. I know. I heard a lot of those songs. Yeah, and there's so much material that's just sitting somewhere, and asks what happens sometimes. Bands disagree on different directions on where they want that sound to go. So we've just been frustratingly uh, arguing with each other for the last little while. So right now we're like, screw it. Uh, We're actually just moving in a slightly different direction. We're going to play some just random shows to get ourselves back out there. And we'll see what happens with all this new material. Oh, I'm excited now. <laughs> Sweet. I'm excited now. I'm really excited. The last uh, the last show that I saw you guys play was at um, was the CD or the EP release with uh, Deep Dark Cave and Moontan, which was my first time seeing both those guys. That was a really good show. <laughs> you guys blew everybody away. Uh, all the bands on that uh, bill that night uh, really killed it. Yeah, everybody killed it. That was that was my that was my favorite performance of you guys for show for sure. Because those new songs you guys played that were not on the EP just was like oh I don't know. <laughs> I was really excited to go home and listen to it. And it was like these songs aren't on there. There's not enough. There's only four songs. <laughs> oh yeah, so there's a mountain of material somewhere. Oh, awesome, awesome. So. uh I don't know. The reason I wanted you on the show because I was thinking of uh, asking I don't know one of the one of the other guys, but I wanted you because I I kind of feel like you're the mastermind. Yeah, that's fair. Is that fair? <laughs> <laughs> mastermind. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You seem to be the voice of the band, but you're also in the scene. You're always doing lots of stuff. You did some Albert Street stuff. Yeah, so um, the Royal Albert is now back in business for the time being. Uh, it was super exciting. Uh, got to be involved in um, yeah, being the original booker for the Albert and helping uh, get the place launched, uh, acclimated to the current Winnipeg indie music climate. 
And then once I once it was kind of self-running, then I passed it off to somebody else. And yeah, I think they're booked like all the way through to the end of time. Right. So, close, right? but when I handed it off, it was pretty much booked right up until mid-November. That's awesome. Yeah. Was it? Uh, was that intimidating to book for them? <laughs> like just because of the history <laughs> of the place. It uh, was an interesting experience because it's uh, the Albert's been around for a long time, and it's uh, seen different iterations and different genres dominated at different times. So when the word got out that it was coming back, a lot of different eras of musicians reached out to me, making oh, sure yeah. that their era was represented <laughs> predominantly. <laughs> <laughs> Friends of this podcast I know in particular were very adamant that this be done properly and <laughs> put a lot of pressure. <laughs> they give you a script. Okay, you need to read this. Represent us. And definitely don't have this band, this band, this band, or this band. There are bitches with some of that. For sure. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I got was do not make this into another lame rock club. Like, this needs to have its own identity. It needs to uh, recapture a little bit of what it was before, but yet still modernizing it. So it was uh, quite the task. It's it's interesting because I think the bands that were booked in there, like that are booked in this this round, it's a lot of different types of music, which I'm really excited about. Because it need that's I think that's the modern twist you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah, because if it's just all punk and metal or whatever, I don't think that's yeah, going to keep it going. There. Spent a lot of time there in the uh, '90s, and uh, yeah, saw a lot of uh, punk. And uh, how did we never run into each other there? Uh, you know what? We might have probably we just, did. We yeah. probably slam danced together <clears throat> at some point. <laughs> yeah, it was mainly uh, death metal and uh, punk that I was seeing there. Yeah, the first time I saw Propagandy was there. I just kind of would have night moves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Friday nights, they it was live on TV or on, TV, uh, live, on the radio. Live on the radio, and yeah. that, that was uh, Kiss FM. Kiss FM. Well, I remember the... Was it 97, 92 back then? Do you remember that? I think it might have been 92. The, the before your time, probably. Before my time. The early 90s. Here's yeah. the in, so here's an interesting history lesson in Winnipeg. So we're obviously older than you are. Just a little bit, though. Like, just that much. Just by hair. <laughs> just by hair, yeah. Oh, Thanks, several, I like it. Great. Several, Thanks, Ryan. Several gray hairs, actually. <laughs> um, every Friday, they used to be live from Night Moves. And back then, it was like, I guess, early 90s, because they just moved back. So, like, 91, 92. And at the time, this is when Burton Cummings was gigging in the city. He was just randomly showing up at clubs and just performing. So, there was a lot of original bands in the city. So, they would play one set of original music and then two sets of covers playing at, you know, the various cover places, right? And so at, on Night Moves on Friday, they would play a whole original set that was recorded live. And uh, it broke a lot of artists back then. So, like, if you want to hear original Winnipeg music, you listen to if 97 or 92, whatever it was at the time. It was called Kiss FM at the time. It was awesome. I have a bunch of them recorded. I used to, Friday nights, instead of going to the bar, I would actually stay home and hit record on my tape player. and That was good stuff, though. I probably still have tapes somewhere. With that on it, yeah, yeah. I was I'm cool. telling you, man, we need to put together uh, the website for Gun Winnipeg and just you know put up all the old music that. Yeah. Uh, well, Sam has that going on. He's he's always asking for old tapes and old demos and stuff. If you go on his website, yeah. you get tons of MP3s there to listen to of old bands from that era. 
Nice. Yeah, it's really cool. Oh, I didn't know you had that. No, you should check it out. It's awesome. It's all dated and everything? Yeah. Uh, I think so. Or it's closest proximity. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, today, what are we talking about? We're going to talk about tribute shows. Mm-hmm. I wrote down Petty Fest. We're going to talk about, because we'll <laughs> talk about that one. But we're talking about tribute shows and... Uh, Making sure bands are uh, how how did you phrase it, Ryan? Uh, fair pay for musicians. Fair pay for musicians. Getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second, musicians get paid for the music nowadays? No, they don't. No, they don't. No. So, can we talk about the uh, getting paid part first? Yeah. So you you brought up the topics. I wanted you to bring up the topics. So uh, I'll let you go, and then we'll chime in here. For sure. Uh, so there's been rallying cries in the past while from artists uh, saying that maybe we should unionize or collectively agree that there should be a minimum standard um, that bars or venues should pay per set. So somewhere per set per okay. set. Gotcha. So somewhere around like the hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty dollar mark. Uh, the logic being that uh, a lot of time and effort, of course, goes into preparing the sets. There's countless hours of practice and never mind the writing. Yeah. Exactly. So much time goes into like a simple 45 minute set that the least of you can do is show their appreciation by having a minimum standard um, of payment. Uh, Traditionally, a lot of places will just do door deals or say, well, you're getting experience by playing in front of our our patrons. (laughs) (laughs) Do it for the exposure. Yeah. Exposure uh, doesn't pay rent or buy groceries. Nope. So, nope. Uh, so I've been hearing that idea more and more. Uh, there's been a lot of like online discussions and like Facebook music groups. Whenever I'm interacting with artists, uh, I hear the topic brought up uh, every now and again. There just seems to be uh, gaining momentum for this uh, concept. Really? Good. Uh, I think so. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so personally, I'm kind of actually against that idea. Uh, you know, as an you artist. Did? Well, I don't like the idea uh, of having that minimum standard. Uh, oh, minimum standard. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I'm a business guy, uh, so I believe in bringing your product to the open market and getting paid what the consumer thinks is worth. Uh, like there's re- like there's bands that play rooms for like ten to twenty people, and there's bands that put in a lot of effort, and they can play in front of ten times that many people. Uh, uh, artists tend uh, not to look at the venue perspective. Uh, I think if, if we look at what's happening in Winnipeg right now, like with the cavern, let's say like the cavern's moving because they can't afford. Uh, that space anymore uh other venues in winnipeg are kind of on life support the scene just isn't strong enough to support that idea Uh, i think bands really need to put in the effort do the work and try to amass that fan base themselves Um, and whatever they get paid at the door it's kind of what they deserve at this point if the scene was healthier and the venues were uh, like making exponential profit and hoarding it somehow out of greed, for sure I could see the argument. But right now, I think profit's just too razor thin. So you've been on both sides. So as the booker, I don't know if you got to see the actual books. Oh, or for not. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you understand how much the venue's making on it. Like we've played a lot of shows where um, it was sort of you have to pay for the venue and then you get the you get whatever's left over. Or they pay you in coffee. 
Or they pay you in coffee. Yeah, there's <laughs> one venue we play, we get paid in coffee and yeah, ice cream. As much coffee as you want. Yeah. yeah. Boy, I, I drank a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stage completely wired. Yeah, don't drink coffee and then spend all day out in the sun. Your whole body will just lock up. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, cramps, leg cramps, and yeah, we had a show where we, I think we all suffered heat is heat exhaustion. But anyway, sorry. Um, I like what you're saying. So you're you're hit, you're talking from both sides. You're not just saying we want more money because I I do agree with you on the point that the venue still has to make money, and if they're paying. If they're going to lose money to book you, then they should be they shouldn't be in business at all. If they, if that's all they do is book bands and then pay the bands all the money, and then they, at the end of the night they can't pay their own staff, like that doesn't work either. Well, I mean, we can always go back to the example of you know the uh, Sean Geek favorite uh, band uh, Threaten. <laughs> Jared Threaten, yes, yeah, just you know going across the UK playing to completely empty houses. Yeah, so all those venues lost a lot of money, and of yeah. course they're mad. You followed the Jared Threaten thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we might have to delve into that after here. Let's let's keep going with with, with your point, and I think we could talk about Jared uh, at the in this context. I think it, it might be good. What's the biggest form of revenue um, that comes in for things that would not normally? Okay, so first one I can think of is when the Internet first started. Okay, how do you make money on the internet? It's through advertisements, right? Mm-hmm. Sponsorships and whatnot. Why could you not do that with, because, I mean, I can't go to a movie theater without being plastered with, you know, half an hour worth of advertisements when I've already paid to get in to watch this movie. And we've discussed this before. But why couldn't you do that with bands? Not the bands being sponsored, but the actual, say, the venue itself looks for bands and would sponsor and have their sponsorships plastered everywhere because inside the bars the only sponsors you see is either cores or bud or whatever like they got all their their signs and whatnot but why wouldn't you have and is that even sponsorship though you'd know ryan like if if they're plastering signs in the venue are they is that actual sponsorship or are they just trying to sell beer no there is a degree of sponsorship for sure okay uh i don't think any of those uh, contracts are terribly big uh, for the average bar, it's you know it'd be insignificant compared to the operating cost. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think there are actually a lot of uh, beer companies just tend to have that stuff, you know, just swag on uh, hand. You know, yep. hey, you're ordering our stuff. Here's some stuff. Put it up on your walls. Cool, cool neon sign. Sure, yep. I'll put that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. But it advertises there. You know, you look around. It's like, oh, I don't know what I want today. And see cores. It's like, oh, I'll just have a cores. Right. So you know, it's kind of that psychological. You know. But with the the dawn of smartphones, everyone's got their head buried in their you know, in their phones. So I don't think as many people go out uh, to the bars as they used to. I could be wrong. I haven't really been out to the bars, so I don't know what the the only generation. time we go to the bars is when we're playing. Yeah. <laughs> lately. <laughs> but I think you're definitely right, and I think if you look at Winnipeg as a model, and you see uh, the quick changeover from bars, like venues pop up, then they disappear right away. Yeah. If you look at the current state of like the music venues in town, um, just from what I know from behind the scenes, like everyone, everyone's hurting right now. So I think the Pal's the only place that's ever actually made a run in that uh, venue on uh, Main Street. Yeah, the I don't Pal. think. Yeah, I don't think anything's ever lasted more than say about a year there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the Powell is definitely a Winnipeg Institute, and yeah. I think it'll be around till the, till the end of time. It's true. Yeah, it's weird. But yeah. that's the other thing, too, is I think the, there's also, I think, another reason that maybe the bars aren't doing as good is 
I don't know, maybe it's a generational thing, but I don't know. In in the day when we were, that was like five years ago, I guess, in the day when we were, anyway, uh, we used to go to the bar and we'd go get, you know, lacquered up, right? But I don't think that's as predominant now because the, pri- the, the pricing at, at bar, back in the day when we would go to the bar, they would have draft specials and they would have this special and you could get shots for 50 cents or a buck or two bucks or whatever. They don't do that anymore. The, the regulations have changed. The laws have changed. So you don't get people getting lacquered up at the bar anymore, which means less revenue for the bar itself. So if your draw to bring people to the bar to drink is the band, but everyone's buying one or two drinks, like how do you make money? Well, people don't go right. out because you can't drink, obviously. Because but people go... pre-game and then have two drinks at the bar, so the bar is still not making money. <laughs> Yeah, I was at the cavern last night, and so I think the most popular drink out of everyone that I saw there was water. And also, with drinking and driving laws being a lot more strict in the province right now, you have the check stop that's usually parked right outside Osborne somewhere. Just as that uh, deterrent, like, you better not drink and drive, which, of course, is a good thing. But uh, to your point, uh, I think less money is going into alcohol um, on a nightly basis. Yeah. So 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 how do they make money? Like... It's almost like maybe there needs to be a reinvention of what the bar does to make money. I know a lot of bars have VLTs, and that's a that's a revenue stream. Each bar needs their own party bus. How's that? You don't have to worry about drinking. You don't have to worry about... And, and now that oh. cannabis is legal, everyone's home going, you know what, I don't want to go anywhere. Let's just order pizza. <laughs> order pizza and smoke up at and, home. And stay at home, yeah. But if they had a party bus, you'd have that option to say, you know, either they would pick you up at home, which I don't know if they would do that. But mind you, if you had to go meet somewhere, that means you actually have to drive. So that kind of defeats the purpose. So if you had the party bus to actually show up at your house, get a whole bunch of people together, you don't have to worry about, you know, you go there, drink your face off, they'll drive you home, everything's good. And actually, just recently, uh, Pallister uh, has announced that he's going to be supporting a new initiative, which is going to probably kill bars even faster. With the uh, change regulations to allow alcohol deliveries, the same way that you can get food delivered. Oh. Can't you already for, like, beer and wine? For beer and wine, yeah, but now this is going to uh, include hard liquor. Yep, that's a game changer. Yeah. I used to I used to just to call the, the cab company and <laughs> get them to deliver <laughs> alcohol to us, and then they would show up, and then... Can I see ID? <laughs> it's like, you know, we're 16 or whatever. There's always been loopholes. Yeah. <laughs> we used to do that back in the day? Yeah, man. Really? Yeah, New Brunswick, yeah. Oh. We were like, yeah, I don't well, know, 16, well, we had, 17 years we old. We had Hayudi Job who lived Job. down the street, the bootlegger. <laughs> <laughs> you have to translate for Ryan. I don't think he knows. He was a bootlegger. Just down the, we lived on a dirt road. And if you went further down, he had like a camp. And you go there, and you had James Reddy and all these Alpine, like all the Eastern beers, and they would charge astronomical amounts. We lived in Ohio, and his name was Hayo Job, which translated as Ohio of the Devil, or de- de- the Devil of Ohio. The Devil of Ohio, now there's a name for a band. <laughs> very metal, I love it. Yeah, Devil of Ohio. So I think, too, and I noticed like the, the, cover, the cover charge at bars, too, is, is not very high. Like you got, like I, I don't know how many shows that we played on where there's like four or five, sometimes even more bands, and it's a ten dollar cover, and even if they sell that club out at five ten bucks, 
Like, are they going to sell out? A. B. The bands are going to get paid even less. And no one's really buying alcohol. Like, how... Like, I, I, the, the bus idea is not a bad idea. But at the same time, the prices of the alcohol at the clubs, is, is it's through the roof. Like, the age group that goes to the bar has X amount of disposable income. And they're not going to be able to drink at the bar. So, how do the bars diversify in this new age to make money? Well, hopefully in the party bus, you can drink on your way to the bar and it being hooked up to the bar they would also get you know it's, it's booze from the bar so mm-hmm. they'd be getting paid but now the now but now they have to pay money for a bus <laughs> and don't forget the price of gas is just insane okay well diesel bus then <laughs> what do you think work? right i'm curious diesel, what, what, ooh, what's ooh, your thought on the party bus ooh, idea? the electric party bus yeah. there you go yeah it's uh, like the electric company's what was it called the uh, electric company, like the TV show. Yeah, what was it called? The magic, magic school bus. Magic bus. <laughs> uh, I've always been a fan of party buses. So I love <laughs> this idea very, very much. Uh, yeah, I, I think in general venues are just looking at uh, like alternative events to fill up their calendars. So you're seeing a lot of trivia nights, which are popular, and paint nights. Are and, you segueing here? Because it looks like you are. Uh, it, <laughs> topics certainly connect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just, uh, the traditional model of bringing bands to fill, to fill the, the club, it doesn't work anymore. Uh, to your point earlier, like, will bands even fill a bar at this point? Probably mm-hmm. not. There's only a handful of bands in our city right now that could actually fill a club. Yeah, there's not, yeah, there's not many. Like, it's a small handful. But the genres are different now. Is it, like back in the day, classic rock was classic rock across the board was pretty much the same, just some different sounds. But now there's just so many different. Well, here's types. the interesting thing. Like back in the day, we were talking about night moves early because this, this kind of circles around back to that. Was they would play four sets in the night, and the one set, which was the one that was on the radio, was the original set. So the bands, in order to draw people in, would have to play covers. That was kind of the rule. So you play, you can play one set of originals, and then you got to play, whatever, two or three sets of covers. Is that the road we need to go? Because we got, what, your, your, your other topic was tribute bands or tribute shows. Yep. Is that kind of the new model of that, maybe? Well, I think right now, when uh, promoters and venues are seeing something that works, I think that's where they're really, you know, really going all in on the concept sure so uh to your point uh original music not doing so well in the city right now but uh what is working right now is the rise of the tribute shows and tribute acts mm-hmm. um, no you got notes on this i know you do i <laughs> i've come prepared I'm, I'm, I'm actually curious so okay before you talk yep i want i want i want to do a vote to think i'm trying to see which side of the fence you're on on it does do you think okay we're gonna go around the table <laughs> do you think Ryan is pro tribute shows or anti tribute shows? Hmm. Like you know where a band will play. Well, we're gonna play a, one set of Soundgarden stuff. We're gonna play one set of Tool. We're gonna play one set of whatever, the hip. Let's say pro, Todd. Okay, let me get this straight. Now the band is paying <coughs> playing only one set. They're playing their originals, but they're playing no, one set of no, actual. No, 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 tri- they're, they're playing all, all Tool or all Van Halen or all. It's specifically a show, hey, it's us playing Van Halen for a set. I like that idea. No, but do you think Ryan's going to like be pro or, or anti? I know which way he is. I can tell. 
Well, <laughs> do I go by his facial expression? Or? <laughs> uh, I'll say yeah. I could be. He's pro. It. I think he's anti. Yeah. Okay, Ryan. Uh, the pros have it. The pros have it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, basically, all my projects we're working on right now all have to do with tribute acts. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Anything that. you're allowed to leak at all, or is it still in the planning stages? Uh, it, it's all in the planning stages right now, but um, for a pure uh, tribute act, so we're doing a legacy 90s band that uh, hasn't been covered very much in the city, so we're really excited for that one. Mm, legacy 90s band, okay, yep. And uh, our big, big project that Israeli is working on right now uh, we're doing big shiny tunes one and two. So no! Oh right. yes! <laughs> oh, got a lot I of love it. Guests coming, big visual component to it as well. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Okay, that's that's brilliant. Yeah. Do I need to delay the release of this so I don't screw up any? That's uh, that's that's all right. Let people know it's coming. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, so yeah, let, let's hear your your take on. Uh, uh so. Uh, just in the past couple of years, uh, tribute shows have quickly emerged as the most dominant popular form of show. Uh, there's a monumental difference in attendance between a band coming to play their original set versus when they do their cover sets. Uh, I Every venue kind of has a version of it, like Goodwill's doing their Bands as Band yep. series. Yep. Handsome Daughter has the Rock and Roulette. Village Idiots does this big... Uh, New Year's show at the Pyramid every year, which uh, sells the Pyramid out, which no local band can do right now, but yet as you do a tribute act night, and there you yep. go. Yeah, I, I won't go over all the band names, but what I did sort of in preparation for this is I, I, I took a look at all like the major tribute acts in the city, and I, I just, out of curiosity, looked at Facebook, like their event groups, for their tribute act versus their last original show. Just, oh. Just to see the difference. And oh, oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So a band where their average show might attract, say, 150 people into a Facebook event group is attracting 1,000 plus all of a sudden now that it's a tribute show. I personally saw two bands who I adore play a show earlier this year together and maybe 20 30 people showed up and those same two bands did a tribute show at the park theater recently and they sold out the park theater so from 20 people to like 300 <laughs> wow now if you go back in the days of say night booze or whatnot when they had the live shows they were all not tribute shows, but they were all covers. It was all covers. Which is pretty much a Which you have show, to do for a club. You know you know which one Night Moves is. It's uh, Was it called Cowboys now, or is it called something else? The Windsor Park Inn. Yeah. What is it called now? I think it's Cowboys. Is it still Cowboys? I think so. Yeah. So, to fill a place that size, because that place is huge, right? To fill a place that size, if you have an original band going in playing all originals... I mean, unless you're Harley Quinn or one of those, you know, established yeah, bands, yeah, that have, you know, have stood the test. Smash of time. Mouth couldn't even sell out the. Uh, Smash Mouth played the, uh, not the, the Windsor Inn, but the other one. That looks ex- uh, the old Diamond Club. Is it called Nashville's now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like back in the day in the '90s, they actually played there and couldn't sell it out. Hmm. Smash Mouth. I mean, everybody knows Smash Mouth. Well, now. 
But no, <laughs> that back then, this was like after All Star. Well, maybe it wasn't the nineties. It was after they had All Star out, and they had they had four or five top ten singles. Damn. Okay, Ryan. Go no on. one was. <laughs> Sorry, we keep interrupting you. Sorry. <laughs> right. um, so, uh, t- to me, it broaches onto a, a larger topic, but it's it's a symptom of the current state of rock music and mainstream right now, oh. which uh, I think everyone can agree is on life support. Mm-hmm. Just look at Billboard, look at Spotify, take a look at how many rock bands are in the top 50, take legacy bands out of that, and it drops to basically nothing. Yeah, there's. I don't think there's any. And Greta Van Fleet is like the only thing that's remotely... And Tool now, obviously, but sure. that's still kind of a legacy band now. Well, Tool's 25 years old. So yeah, so there you go. Definitely a legacy band. Yeah. Uh, you know, Greta Van Fleet, for, for sure, it was interesting that they were able to break through the way they did. But, of course, they did because they sounded like Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. And there was sort of that, like, connection to classic rock. Tribute shows are a natural response to what's happening with, like, mainstream tastes. If people aren't taking a chance on newer bands, uh, it's just a smart way for local bands to adapt, uh, to generate some interest in their projects, because hopefully by, you know, playing in front of a large group of people and showing that there is talented musicians in the city, they can retain at least a small percentage of that to check out their original projects. Well, I think at the same time, if they're going going out and playing like sound, the Soundgarden set or whatever, because um, uh, who is it that did Soundgarden? They did a Soundgarden set. Um, Dizzy Mystics. Dizzy Mystics, yeah. If you, like, I I probably wouldn't have gone out, well, no, I probably would have gone out to see them anyway because of the buzz, because I love music, but if I was the standard fan, I would never have gone to see them. Because it's like, well, it's just another band. But, oh, they're doing a Soundgarden tribute, right? So, okay, well, I'm going to go to the Soundgarden tribute. You listen to them do Soundgarden songs. Like, when they played with us, they did uh, they did Rusty Cage. I think they did something else. I think they might have done a couple. But they did that. I'm like, oh, okay. Now now I'm paying attention. So after, it's interesting, because like, they, they worked that into their set. About halfway through the set, they worked that in. And before that, I'm like, yeah, these guys are good. You know, I would, I'd never seen them before. I'd heard of them, but, you know, it was our show, and I was kind of preoccupied selling stuff and whatever, so I was kind of half paying attention. And I'm like, you know, these guys are pretty good. But the minute that they did that song, I kind of stopped what I was doing, looked at the stage, and I'm like, oh, okay, you nailed Kim Thale, you nailed Matt Cameron, you nailed Chris Cornell, Okay, now I'm paying attention. So then I'm paying attention. After that song played, I was actually paying attention to their songs more. It's like, okay, ah, I see what you're doing there. Okay, I'm. So then, actually, it, that was my turning point to to liking them, to actually not liking them, but actually getting my attention. So I know there's a lot. Like when when Dome was playing, we refused to play covers. That was our thing, which is marketing wise an incredibly dumb move. Because, you know, if you open with a cover, then everyone's attention is just like with the Dizzy Mystics. Like, oh, okay, now I'm paying attention. So if if we had done that, I think we could have had, you know, maybe better momentum. But some bands are taking covers out of their sets. I think covers do belong in the sets. Like, I think if you start with a cover, that's how you get their attention and that's how you retain it. So when Dizzy Mystics or any of these bands are doing a show like that, are they still playing original material? Is there still a set in there of original material? Are they working in a no. couple songs? 
No, it's none just, whatsoever. Yeah. So in Winnipeg, if there's a tribute show, it's purely, purely the covers. So you know when the house music's playing between sets, right? Um, between sets of the bands, wouldn't it be interesting? So at a, at a at a cover show, at an all tribute show, the songs played between sets are at the actual band's real songs. Flip it on its head. I know that it's probably marketing wise well, doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> if, if you do that, then you kind of limit the, the the songs that they can play. Because well, we just heard that song. Well, don't know, but they're not going to play any originals. They're only going to play covers, right? So you play their original. Oh, songs their original. In okay, I see, the house music. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Just kind of reverse it. I'm just spitballing. It probably wouldn't work, but um, I so does everybody. I know you obviously do. You like the the tribute shows, Corey? Yeah, I've been to a few tribute shows. I mean. You know, it's always nice to kind of hear uh, music that you wouldn't necessarily hear anymore. You know, like the you know old ones, like like Beatles. bands that aren't together anymore. Yeah, yeah. go see the Beatles. You know, group of guys you know dressed up like the Beatles. You know, trying to bring it back to the original era, nineteen fifties. Roy, you Todd? I I liked them. Like when we went to go see at the zoo. I think it was uh, it was an Aussie uh, cover band. Oh my god! And uh, they opened for the Headpins, and oh yeah. my god, they were really good. Yeah. Really good. I enjoyed it. it. It's nice to get the music. Like when you're listening to a stereo, I mean, nowadays, stereos, the hi fi and surround, everything gets more, the realism just goes up a notch every time they, you know, they invent new new ways of projecting sound. But when you're there live, you actually can feel the thump of the bass drum. Yeah. And, and or the kick and, and the thump of the bass, and you can really, really feel it. And to hear the original stuff and not being able to go to an actual concert. Are actually going to a smaller venue, where you get the same idea, but, but you're it's not intimate. Yeah, it's more intimate. Yeah. It, it's always nice. It's always better when it's an intimate surrounding, especially like when we used to play with um, the classic embers. Like we'd go to you know someone's house. Oh yeah. And have uh, something in the garage, and everyone's there, and you can even have people come up and and you know play interact. with you or sing, interact with you, which is, which is nicer. When it, when there's too many people, you can't really do that. Those were my favorite shows. It was all classic Embers was an all cover band, uh, that we were in. We do four sets sometimes. Well, some of those private parties do another set. Yeah. Here's an extra hundred bucks <laughs> or whatever. There's that one place we played. That's what they're all, they're all lacquered up. Oh yeah. Like do another set. We only have <laughs> four sets. Do another set. Here's an extra hundred bucks. <laughs> but as a cover band too, I think the 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 pay rate of scale. Like when we we're, we I, I think as don't we I don't know. I thought it would, the the pay was okay. I mean, it doesn't pay any bills. That's for damn sure. Well, it was, but, it was better than coffee. But it was better than coffee. Yeah. yeah. But as a cover band, behind like behind this, we never got paid when we were in the Embers. Like all the money was reinvested back in the band. But the pay scale was five to six hundred bucks a show. But that's for four sets. The cover band, you know, you might break even or make a little bit of money depending on like you guys probably you guys probably made a thousand bucks a show. <laughs> yeah, actually I was talking to somebody yesterday who's in one of the more popular ones in the city and uh they're getting like two grand a show to do a couple sets of covers. Oh, doing a couple sets of covers. Yeah. Holy, nice. wow. And so th- that person is also in a, an original project right. that I saw last night. And, you know, their band made maybe 200 bucks for the night for yeah. the door deal versus his two grand that he made the week and before doing covers. Which is why uh, which is why I'm pro 
uh, tribute shows right now. If it's popular, it's just if it's keeping the venues alive, then yeah, why not? It's keeping the venues alive. It's giving artists a payday so that they could reinvest it into their original projects. But I think it's also a way to grow to to grow the. Like, do you think it's it's hurting the original material of the band? Do you think someone's going to go to a tribute show and go, who the hell are these guys? And then look them up, and then all of a sudden their Spotify numbers jump through the roof? Do you, do you think there's a correlation there? Oh, not jump through the roof, but I think the goal is to retain at least, like, a small percentage of it. So clever bands, will, after they play their set, they'll really work the crowd. They'll get out there, they'll meet and greet, introduce. And then and sell their... And sell the original stuff. Yeah. So I think if you're you're crafty, uh, you will see that correlation. Just in general, if you're the type of band that just goes, plays their set, and then that's it, just walks away and leaves the venue. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that uh, indie bands make. You almost have to have a big banner of your, your album cover in the back. Yeah. You don't say a whole lot. Like, you can talk about it and whatnot, but it'll be there, and they'll see it. And they'll see it all night long. So then when it comes to, you know, they start promoting their own stuff, if people look it up, they go, oh, yeah, I remember because, I mean, everything's visual. Yeah, because you remember something more visually than you would. Yeah. Something interesting at the merch table, like, have built some sort of display. You almost have to think of it in retail terms. Yeah. Yeah, making something uh, catches your eye. Now, do they have workshops for bands that want to try and promote themselves? Yeah, through um, uh, Mentor Music. Yeah. We remember we were a member of Manitoba Music, but did we go to any events? <laughs> no, I, I, no. I made a mistake when I first started Manitoba Music. I'm like, I just joined because I thought that was the thing to that, do, yeah. and I didn't take advantage of anything. And then I realized it was a lot smarter to work within the system than outside the system. Well, you said a lot. Because <laughs> yeah. I think with with us, I think, I think there was a bit of, I don't know if it was arrogance, but I, I think on our side, I think we were very much so cool. We're going to do this the way we want to do it. We're not going to kiss anyone's butt. And But I noticed that right away, the first thing, as soon as we joined, I was getting, because it was on my email address, so I was getting emails, hey, there's an open mic. Come out here and play for free. Right. And go, you know, go do an open mic. And we got asked multiple times, and Alex said no every single time. Because he's like, no, we're going to do it our way. But he also had extreme stage fright our guitar player extreme stage fright that first show we played we almost didn't play remember we had to he was outside the the venue in Selkirk and we had to convince him to go on stage <laughs> you remember that uh vaguely I was probably pretty you know it was our, it was our first yeah. thing sitting up there but then after I mean if you look at the first video we did yeah and the last video we did it's leaps and bounds differently, mm-hmm. different. You could tell that we were way more relaxed yeah. <laughs> on stage. But I have to say, I think my favorite person to ever see on stage was Alex, our guitar player. <laughs> I just, half the time I'm like looking at him and say, oh shit, I'm doing a show. Oh, when I watch the videos, I look at him and he, he see him yeah. moving around and he's just getting right into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. Good. Awesome. And that was actually, a, that was Alex. Alex had never played on a stage before. Dome was his first band. Oh, wow. Yeah. You would you wouldn't know it. Yeah. On another note, just side note, uh, the guys that I jam with now, mm-hmm. um, actually the guitar player Dan, he's never been in front of. Yeah, you were telling me in front of anybody, yeah. and actually we're playing today. What? Where? Three songs. Oh, just Auto Insurgent here, just to get his feet wet. He doesn't want to advertise it. He just wants to just some. Stage. Well, you just did. 
Well, but this won't be live. This will be, this this will be after the fact. But Dan, I hope you did a good job. <laughs> I'm sure you did fine. We'll get someone to shoot. Good some job, video. Dan. <laughs> So, anyways, um, so I got a question. So, when it comes to tribute bands, um, how important is it to try to deliver the feel of the band that you're, I guess, the music that you're promoting, that you're performing? Like, do you have to look like? Do you have to look? Do you like want the band? to look, sound, feel? try to recreate their old, you know, kind of you know set? Yeah. Um, stage and oh, that's a good question what do you yeah. think ryan it, it is a good question i think it varies from band to band um those are all the questions that we ask ourselves now that i'm putting yeah this type of band together should we do it in, in costume should we play their their actual set list or should we play their hits uh i, I think it it varies on like a case-by-case basis uh, like if your band happens to look close to like the band and you're like su- similar age group and just the DNA of your bands are similar, then yeah, I love bands that go all in and try to like recreate it like as close as possible. Uh, but if that's not a possibility, uh, it's always safe just to go with go with the hits. Yeah, just try, try to recreate sonically is the most important thing, and then all the other things are just added bonuses. Um, Depends on the band too. Do you remember? Speak is uh, it depends on the band too. Yeah, like Danny, our cousin. Yeah, they just had a tribute show. Yes, and it was a Kiss tribute show. That was a big crowd too. And, they yeah. played Fredericton. They flew Danny out to Fl- Fredericton. Yeah, and they'll play a show full garb, like the whole thing. You'd think you were at the actual concert. Well, they actually have sponsors now, right? Nice. nice. So what the sponsors does because originally they were a Kiss cover band. They put the makeup on. I think they wore suits to emulate the third Kiss album, right? And but. People saw them and saw how good they were. So then sponsors came and said, what if we give you money to make the costumes exactly the same? So now they do, they have, they have a full light show. They have, everyone has the full costumes. Um, they also, uh, Danny does Gene Simmons. So he, he does the fire. He had to teach himself how to shoot fire. Um, scared the crap out of her. Our aunt. Oh my God! His mom, you mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was I a video of him, you know, doing the whole fire thing. His mom saw it. <laughs> yeah, she must. She must have flipped. Oh, I think with Kiss in particular, there'll be very high expectations. Yes. For what that entire show would look like. Yes. Like, so like, so certainly. that's a lot of that's a visual show. Yes. Yeah, because they're very prominent visually. Yeah. But any other band that they're trying, you're trying to do the tribute to. I guess it kind of depends. Because when the 90s bands that came out, the grunge, everyone was just wearing jeans and torn shirts and whatnot, and they all kind of looked the Doc same. Doc Martens. Yeah, they all kind of looked the same. But mind you, in the 80s, everyone had big hair, and everyone looked the same there, yeah. too. So just each era, they've kind of just changed the look. So visually, this, let's go back to that. What the hell was that cover, that Aussie cover band that we saw? Do you remember what they were called? Because here's what they did visually that was very, very interesting. Because they, it was Aussie tribute, but they started with Black Sabbath. Yeah. And he looked like Aussie Black Sabbath era, right? With the with the dark brown hair, long dark brown hair. And kind of the clothes they were wearing, they were more metal. And then they <laughs> went into the uh, Blizzard of Oz timeline of Aussie. And then suddenly had... Did he have different hair at that point in the set? Well, I'm trying to remember. Well, but he, lo- he basically the singer because it was an Aussie tribute band. Yeah. The rest of the band didn't really look like anybody in particular. But the front man transitioned from one era to the next, 
to the point that they did the. Um, uh, I get so hot, he took his wig off. He was bald. Well, at the end, he took his wig <laughs> off. He was a bald guy, so yeah. he had different wigs transition. But yeah. the, the um, is it the ultimate sin? I don't know how familiar you are with Ozzy. He had the ultimate sin era where he looked like a Bette Midler or something. <laughs> <laughs> he was already wearing all sequins, and he had. Uh, he looked god awful. So he actually, you know, he went from the straight black hair to the Aussie area where it was kind of blonde, like the early era, and then he went into the ultimate scenario where he had the the the, cur- the super curly, you know, the '80s hair with uh, wearing a, a robe, like Dio, yeah, yeah the sparkly, yeah. And then robe in the final, thing. at the final end, when they were doing like, then he did the straight black hair, you know, the No More Tears era, and then in the end he just took the wig off and. That was probably the best tribute band I've ever seen. Yeah, was it really Osborne with a Z? That, that's Maybe. the popular Aussie tri- uh, tribute. To it might have been. Yeah. Normally, bands tribute bands go by a name of the song that they've done. Yeah. So they could Blizzard of Oz. He could have called example, it. Yeah. Or, he could have called it that or something. I can't remember. The did name. you know Ozzy's band when he went solo was actually called supposed to be called Blizzard of Oz? It wasn't supposed to be called Ozzy Osbourne. Oh. It wasn't supposed to be a solo project, but then Sharon got involved, and then uh, they flipped it, and then the band was pissed. And then he fired the whole band. (laughs) Except for Randy Rhodes. Randy Rhodes was the original, but the drummer and bass player was not, it was not them. They played on the album, and then they brought in a couple other guys. Wow. Sorry, I'm the trivia guy. (laughs) (laughs) What's your take on Ozzy Osbourne? Oh, I'm a huge classic rock fan. I mean, Ozzy was one of my first uh, musical loves. Love Black Sabbath. I mean, I think those records are genius. Yeah, just massive fan. I've seen, I've caught Ozzy play every time he's in town. So really? Maybe, are you serious? Yeah, so I've seen maybe four or five times. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, well then that was an appropriate topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about that? That, I think that's a good uh, good cap off for the first hour. You good to stick around for another yeah, absolutely. another one? Okay. We'll do coffee. We'll do yeah. pee breaks. All right. Hey, we'll see you guys on the flip side for the uh, part two. <laughs>